why should other farmers consider interseeding cover crops? Do you well, think? It, is, it is a tool to help build soil health. And I, I don't know, for me, it was just a, a way to add more diversification to your, your crop rotation. Now, put it simpler terms, if I would eat a casserole for six months, I get pretty sick of eating casserole. <laughs> the microbes <laughs> like a diversification tool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like that analogy. Welcome to Field Notes. My name is Will Fullwider, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Geisinger. We are two regional crops educators with UW-Madison Extension in Wisconsin, combining our skills, knowledge, and experience to help farmers and agronomists develop research-based solutions to issues facing agriculture in Wisconsin. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing well, Will. How are you doing? Oh, just just great. I'm super glad that we were able to connect and finally make this first episode of Field Notes happen. Uh, I'm very excited for this episode because we're talking about soil conservation, which is one of my main interests. Uh, and more specifically, we're going to talk about interseeding cover crops into corn while it's growing. So to kind of give us some of the different perspectives, we have a statewide perspective. So we're joined by Ann Pfeiffer. Ann is currently the on-farm research program manager for UW-Madison and has been working for a couple of years on a project with interseeding and researching that across farms in Wisconsin. And then to give us the farmer perspective, we'll be talking to Marty Weiss, who is the vice president of the Dodge County Farmers for Healthy Soil, Healthy Waters, Farmer-Led Watershed Council Group. So he has been interceding on his own farm and doing custom interceding as well for several years. Pretty excited for today's show. Uh, and I just want to start by welcoming Anne. So thank you, Anne, for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me to join you. Yeah, so as we just kind of jump into things here a little bit and do a deep dive into the interceding world... How would you describe kind of what this interceding is? Sure. Just real simply, I would describe interceding as the practice of planting a cover crop between rows of a cash crop. Um, when the cover crop is planted while the cash crop is still growing rather than after harvest as we might more typically have done. Yeah. So in a, in a typical cover crop system, then you're usually planting after the crops have been taken off and then in this interseeding system, uh, you're talking about planting it while the while the crop is still growing. So, exactly. So and so, why should farmers consider interseeding cover crops and kind of following this practice of getting those cover crops in while the corn crop is still growing? So, in Wisconsin and the Upper Midwest, we've started looking at interseeding because of the limitations of our season. So. Typically, uh, because we have um, a relatively short summer and winter comes early, uh, we've often been limited to planting winter rye as a cover crop after we harvest our corn or beans in the fall. And there's a lot of benefits to planting rye as a cover crop, but it doesn't leave us too much room for species diversity or seeing some of the benefits that we might get from a wider range of cover crop species. So Rather than waiting until after the fall harvest to plant cover crops, we're looking at interseeding earlier in the season while the cash crop is still growing. Um, this lets us take advantage of the summer warmth and light to get cover crop growth in that prime season 
Um, and then interceding earlier in the season allows us to grow a wider range of species. So we get to take advantage of lots of different action in the soil um, rather than the limitations that, um, you know, that we get from rye. So Anne, have you found that there's a specific stage of corn growth that works best for interseeding or how does kind of planting earlier affect it or planting later? Sure. So there's been a fair amount of research about interseeding, uh, primarily on the East Coast. And what we're seeing coming out of that work is saying planting um, interseeding into corn around V5 is the recommendation. However, in the Midwest, we're finding that that really isn't working well for us. Um, and we think it's because we're seeing too much corn canopy closure at that point, and there just isn't enough sunlight at the ground for the cover crop to germinate well and put on any biomass. So we've been looking at earlier interseeding closer to V3. Um, and at that point, we're really seeing better cover crop germination and establishment so that that cover crop can actually grow, put on some biomass before corn canopy closure. And then once we do have that canopy closure and it's darker down at the soil surface, um, the cover crop just kind of hangs on for the season and then is ready to come back once we take the corn off in the late summer or fall. Um, so V3 is kind of what we're playing with right now and the recommendation of some farmers who've been playing with this. Have you found that uh, interceding that early has any effect on the yield of the corn? That's something that we're collecting information on right now. We, over the past two years, we've been working with a group of about 20 farms who are doing research plots on their own um, farms, and we're seeing, you know, a little bit of ups and downs. So some farms are seeing a little bit of yield hits. Some are actually seeing higher yields in their interseeded plots, um, and we're still trying to tease out exactly what's happening there. Um, overall, we've been happy to see that it's not a dramatic change, which leads us to be hopeful that with some tweaks in the systems, we can get to a place that farmers will be able to implement this practice in an overall beneficial manner. And, you know, there's always that trade-off of, you know, maybe there is a little bit of a yield hit, but if we're seeing enough soil health benefits, or if you're able to use that interseeding um, as a forage or to graze later, um, then maybe you can figure out a way that that really is an overall financial benefit as well as a soil health systems benefit for you. Yeah, and, and you had mentioned a little bit in your comments there that uh, interseeding offers kind of this opportunity to plant more of a mixed species. So often in Wisconsin, we're doing the, the cereal rye, just a single species cover crop. What are some of the characteristics you consider when you're looking at the different types of species to plant into an interseeding mix? Sure. Well, as with any cover crop, a good place to start is always thinking about your goals. So whether you're looking for nitrogen fixation or if you want to capture excess N that's maybe already in the soil um, from spring fertilization, do you want quick growth for weed control and soil cover? Um, so different species are going to offer you different benefits and interseeding allows you to have the option to mix species. So you could potentially get a little bit of all of those. Um, some farms are also uh, looking at interseeding as sort of a double cropping, hoping to harvest the covers for feed or graze the fields after harvest. So in those cases, you would want to think about the feed quality of potential species. Whenever I'm talking about cover crops, I always like to point out and encourage people to think about how they're going to terminate their cover crop before they ever plant it. Um, that's a way that people new to cover crops can really get into some trouble. So before the seed ever grows in the ground, think about, you know, are you looking for something that's going to winter kill so that you don't need specialized equipment or chemicals to deal with it? Or do you want something that comes back in the spring and will overwinter? Um, so thinking about how that timing fits into your cropping system 
and what kind of tools, whether it's physical, you know, cultivation tillage tools or chemicals that you're going to use for burn down, uh, making sure you have a plan and probably a plan B and C if the uh, rain and timing of your um, first plan doesn't work out. Um, in choosing species, I have two, uh, two resources that I really love to recommend. The first is the Midwest Cover Crop Council. They have a great website that has some really nice interactive menus. People can uh, you know, put in some information about their farm, their soil health goals, or their cover crop goals, um, timing of the season, and it'll give some recommendations. So that's a great starting point for people who are starting to play in that. Um, and then there's a book called Managing Cover Crops Profitably, published by SARE, the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program within USDA. Um, and that's just a fabulous book. It's available free online as a PDF, or if people want a hard copy, um, it's available for essentially the cost of printing. Um, it's like 20 bucks. So those are two things that I refer to myself a lot. Those are some good resources for sure. Curious if there's those resources or anything in your in your projects that you've run over the last couple of years with farmers that you found to stay away from, which cover crops that maybe you shouldn't be interested in that you might do after corn. Um, no, I don't think I have any particular species that I would really say are absolutely not an option. Um, I think it it's really just about what works on an individual farm and what your goals and resources are to do with that. And across kind of the farms that you've worked with, you know, how have people found success or what have been kind of the indicators that this works with their farming system versus uh, doesn't or the challenges that present themselves as well? Sure. So, you know, we're always looking at yield, right? We want to uh, create a system that isn't going to be overly financially burdensome to folks. So, um, in the work that we've done, we've been collecting yield information as well as some um, soil health metrics. And the soil health stuff is a little bit messier to go through because we expect to see soil health changes over the long term. Um, so looking at something in a one or two year project, um, we wouldn't expect to see major soil health changes. But I've been happy to see that we haven't seen major dips in yields um, and that, you know, a lot of it anecdotally is farmers telling us that they're still interested and they think it's a promising system. So at this point, I feel like we're early-ish in the process of figuring this out. Um, and we're really relying on farmers to tell us what they're seeing in their fields and what they find to be beneficial. Um, so Stay tuned. Um, I hope that we'll have some more solid information to share um, in the relatively near future. But for now, I'm happy to say that it's something that our collaborators are say have promise. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate this critical concept you're getting at, Anne, which I think people tend to forget that planting cover crops is kind of this cure-all and you just throw it out there and it kind of grows and everything works out in the end. But in reality, these crops need management in the same way that any of our other crops need management. Uh, and you had touched on, especially considering things like termination, uh, which is crucial to consider before you start jumping in. Uh, and maybe I would just even add to that is, you know, if this is something you're looking to start, just start small. You don't need to start with the whole farm and have this bad experience and all of these negative ramifications. Uh, so maybe you have a 200 acre farm, maybe start with 10 or 15 acres and give it a shot that way. You had talked about some of the different management perspectives. Uh, I was curious too, because I've kind of heard from 
from certain people that, you know, sometimes you throw that seed out there and then it just kind of sits there or you don't get rain right away. So could you maybe speak into that a little bit? You know, how necessary is it to get that precipitation after you intercede uh, to ensure the success of the interseeded cover crop? Yeah, so I think the precipitation really depends a lot on what kind of equipment you're using. If you are able to get good seed to soil contact and get that seed a little bit buried, we have found that you can be successful with really not a lot of soil moisture. Um, last year in 2021, we had extremely dry conditions across most of the state and really saw surprisingly good stands all over the place, um, you know, with very dry on the surface. Uh, but if you dug down, there was some moisture in the soil, you know, half an inch, an inch deep, and it worked. We were a little bit nervous about starting interceding during a um, statewide drought, but we're pleasantly surprised by how well it did. Um, I will say if you're broadcasting and have less robust seed to soil contact and your seeds are closer to the surface, then I would uh, definitely recommend that folks are working harder to hopefully time that with some precipitation, the forecast. So, um, you know, we've got lucky a few times with broadcasting seed and then, you know, even just like a 10 minute little storm passed through and provided us enough to get it off the ground. So it doesn't need to be a lot, but uh, definitely need a little bit of water coming through if you're broadcasting. You had just hinted a little bit at, you know, it kind of depends on the equipment you're using in these systems. So I might just kind of open up that question now uh, and say, what kind of equipment, you know, should you maybe have or have access to to successfully intercede? Yeah. So okay. I've seen people have success with a really wide range of equipment, everything from a broadcast spinner mounted on the back of an ATV to really highly specialized interceding uh, rigs. And, you know, people have had success with all of it. So um, I think you need to think about what you have and what considerations you need to make in doing that. So obviously, if you're you know, broadcasting off an ATV, um, you need to be a little bit more attuned to what your soil conditions are and what your moisture is than if you have an interseeder that's going to get that really perfectly uh, buried seed. Um, but it's not impossible with any of it. And I think it really speaks to your comment about starting small, that I would love to see people give this a try on a little bit of land and with really basic equipment. You know, if you've got a friend or a neighbor that you can borrow something from, awesome. But um, I don't want people to feel like they have to invest in primo equipment before they give it a try, because I think it's possible to do it with stuff that um, is maybe more easily available. In between a broadcast spreader and a dr uh, interceder, there are definitely a ton of people using modified drills. Um, so that's a great option that is, I think, more widely available to a lot of people as well. Speaking of modified drills, there are actually some resources on UW Extension's website that look into how can you modify some no-till uh, grain drills to be able to intercede on uh, your corn land. So those are worth checking out for sure. I remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking out into one of the farmer's fields with whom I'm working on your interceding project, actually. And it was interesting ch chatting with him on the phone as I was walking his field, because I noticed that it the emergence wasn't super great stuff. I mean, stuff was coming up, but it definitely was not quite as thick. And he was like, yeah, it's not as good as last year. And he used his new interceder, you know, mm -hmm. specifically for this purpose. And he's like, yeah, I just didn't, what well, didn't get the depth great enough. I didn't get that great seed to soil contact. Um, and even some of it, he got some rain just beforehand, but 
It was mm-hmm. he was saying that last year when he didn't even use that, he did it. He did it better than this year when he did use his specialized interceder because it's just about fine tuning that uh, seed to soil contact, getting the right depth so those seeds can access the moisture that's locked in the soil. Yeah, and that's I mean another good story in support of starting small, right? Experiment, figure it out. Um, even when you've got the perfect equipment, um, there's a learning curve for all of us in it. And so when folks are interceding, you know, have you found across in your project across the state that there's collections of people in specific geographies? And, you know, speaking of geography, where can interceding have the most impact? We've got folks working on this, you know, up in the northwest part of the state. Um, Lots of folks looking at it in the Northeast, particularly a lot of dairy farms in that region who are looking at alternative forage production um, integrated with an interseeding system um, and certainly plenty of folks in the Southern tier. So, you know, I don't think it's limited geography. It will change uh, maybe exactly how you do it and what species you choose um, or, you know, what your timing looks like, but I, I don't think this is off limits to anybody. And I think that some of the folks in the northern parts of the state who maybe have even shorter seasons than those in the south um, could really benefit from you know, squishing these seasons together um, because there's even less capacity there to do fall cover crop planting after harvest. That makes sense. <laughs> so Anne, do you, have you found that single species or mixed species established slash work better? Uh, in these systems? We have only been doing work with mixed species as part of this project. There are certainly a lot of other research out there at UW and elsewhere looking at single species cover crops. Um, We have two reasons that we're looking at a mix. One is that the mix adds more diversity to the system. So it allows us to have all those different functional groups of a cover crop system in one go. So we're seeing legumes for nitrogen fixation. We're seeing grasses for Um, excess nutrient capture and quick growth. We're seeing some brassicas and other mixed species for uh, just more diversity in the system. So the second reason is that a mix can really be helpful in responding to the unique conditions of a particular growing season. So it's a way to not put all of our eggs in one basket um, and depending upon heat and moisture conditions, different species or types of species might do better or worse. Um, so if we end up with a really hot dry year or a cool wet year um, or what have you, we might see uh, different things be more successful and a mix essentially is an insurance policy uh, because we can't know at the beginning of the season exactly what to expect. I think that pretty much kind of sums up what we were hoping to talk with you today about, Anne, and Perfect. we appreciate your time for jumping on the this first episode here of Field Notes and uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. So. Great, thanks for having me, it was fun. Thanks to Anne for her statewide perspective. After the break, we will be talking with Marty Weiss, who farms corn, soybeans, and wheat, as well as custom grazes heifers on 230 acres in Dodge County. I would like to welcome Marty Weiss. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what 
got you started interceding? Why did you start um, doing it? In, interest in improving soil health, basically. You know, by, by that I mean like soil armor, more plants to collect sunlight, uh, which is result of uh, more photosynthesis, which improves soil health and uh, collecting carbon in the soil. I know we were talking with Anne, and she had mentioned that one of the reasons that folks intercede is to be able to establish those cover crops earlier, get more growth out of them, because it's a little bit too late um, at the end of the season after corn. Was it, so for that, that wasn't quite the reason why you started to do it, was it? Yeah, it was. It was uh, one of the goals, but I have yet to make it any uh, interceded crops make it through the winter. Uh, it's usually well, I did. I can't say I haven't had luck because I've had some clovers make it and some rape, but um, what I wanted to make is the annual ryegrass, but it never seems to make it. Well, it's not designed to make it, but now we thought we could eliminate the cereal rye after corn, but I still plant cereal rye after corn. Yeah, and you're, you've kind of mentioned some of the benefits in your system uh, of, you know, having some success with this interseeding and uh, the different advantages it offers for soil health, and you've been able to kind of effectively start implementing it more and more. And so I guess my question is, why should other farmers consider interseeding cover crops? Do you well, think? It, is, it is a tool to help build soil health. And I, I don't know, uh, for me, it was just a, a way to add more diversification to your, your crop rotation. So that's uh, put it simpler terms. If I would eat a casserole, for six months, I get pretty sick eating casserole. <laughs> the microbes like a diversification too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like that analogy. So what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, in interseeding cover crops? Biggest challenge is uh, dryness come August, end of August. Uh, I've only had, I've been planting since 2017, being my sixth, uh, fifth year right now. Of the three, of that maybe three years, covers have survived till harvest, through harvest. Uh, a couple of years because of uh, dryness in August, yeah, they, they don't quite make it. They go lethargic, which we had expected, but when once the uh, corn starts drying down, you expect them to come back. But because of dryness, they just can't survive. What are some of the things that you kind of have found to work and not found to work? So that's kind of a big question, and we're going to unpack it with a with a few different topics, uh, but I might just kick it off. You know, when when you're getting this stuff established, at what stage of the corn do you typically try to intercede? I try to get everything going by V3 or late V2, but be done by V4. I want that plant or those plants to develop a, a solid root system and some growth to survive. You know, when when the corn starts shading it in so much. Around here, our corn can typically get 12 to 14 foot tall, and that can really shade out those covers. Uh, and then also when I do interseed, I, the corn plant, I look for upright leaf structure of the corn and then the plant a full and a semi-flex ear. Uh, that seems to be more tolerant to uh, using the low populations. Population of corn works, 32,000 works the best, but you're giving up a little yield. So I plant usually around 34, five to 35,000 plants per acre. And are you, uh, and you might've mentioned this already, but are you maintaining the 30 inch row spacing with yes. your interseeding? Okay. Yes, I tried the 60, 
uh, I figured I could graze it afterwards. I just never had enough growth. And maybe it's because of the mixes of covers I've been using, but it just never was worthwhile to me to pursue it. I gave up bushels of corn when I went to the 16-inch corn. Other guys have had luck to it. I just didn't. And in fact, we had a three-year trial here, um, a plot. It was uh, designed by a UW Extension agent. And between her and I, we uh, developed uh, like a protocol of 32, 34, was it 34,000 and 36,000 plants per uh, acre of corn and then different species. And then what we did is no covers and covers in four replicated areas. And of the all three of those years, I averaged seven to eight bushel advantage. I have yet to have a handicap when it comes to interseeding. Sounds like some pretty solid success there. And you mentioned kind of the different species that you're planting a little better. You know, that, oh. that is determinant. Do you find that there's a specific mix that you've kind of settled on that works well for you? I started out with a, uh, annual ryegrass, red clover, and uh, rape. I have since gone a little, I use those three, but I've added vetch, and I've added flax and buckwheat. And I also use some kale uh, just to cut down on the rape and give a little diversification of the brassica. I don't use a pound like I did at one time. Now I'm down to a quarter pound of each. But I like the flax and buckwheat because it's a flowering plant. And I'm trying to encourage beneficial pollinators. In addition to the, the pollination factors you're looking at there, is there anything else in particular that you might look for in the different characteristics of the various species you're planting? Shade tolerant. It must be shade, must be shade tolerant. And the university has some good data on that. Penn State has good data on there, what species are shade tolerant. And some of those for me was trial and error. I tried different things, but these are the ones I kind of fix on now. And so when you're interseeding, um, what you talked mentioned a little bit about broadcasting and some of the equipment that you're using, but in the past, what did you use? And is it the same thing that you're using now? Okay, I always used the no-till drill. I bought a, a drill, I modified it. Uh, uh, taking out eight rows, I have a 20 foot drill. So I took out eight rows and I uh, seed with three rows in between the corn rows. Uh, we have a friend that does use a broadcast seeder in front of his tractor with a rotary hole or a cultivator behind it to help incorporate seed. He lightly cultivates. So that he's had success doing that. Broadcasting, I don't, I don't know if it works. I've had it where I flew around with a plane when the corn was uh, half dried down, they had 50 percent dry down of the of the leaves. Uh, it didn't for me. It did not work. For one year it was dry, the other year it was uh, we thought slugs or earthworms got after the seed. So it, I won't do it again. It was a waste of money. So it really sounds like it's dependent on kind of the touch and go weather of late yeah. summer, whether it's going to rain, if it works or not. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, even while generally interceding, you know, uh, if you do broadcast an inch of rain afterwards, especially in the V3, V4, that'd be great because then your seeds are getting going. Uh, for me, I, I if I see a rain coming, 
a good rain shower coming, uh, you know, you know, a day or two, you know, I kind of watch the weather when it's time to intercede. I will start interceding at late V2. Uh, there has been data done that you go at V2 or earlier, you're going to harm your yield. So I've never gone at V2. I'm a little reluctant to even try it. You know, maybe it's something I should try as a trial, but I've had good luck at doing V3, mainly because the headland runes you run over a lot of corn. And at V3, they'll, that lot of corn will come back. They, you don't break mm -hmm. them off. After V4, you know, getting to V5, you're breaking stalks off, and that's not going to come back. Right. And so... To sum up, kind of you, you've got this little bit of flexibility between kind of late V two through uh, V four is really when you when you want to hit it, and you really want to get it right before a good rain is kind yes, of what you're be, looking for. That'd be ideal. You don't always hit it, but that's right. You know, that's the way it is. I like to be interceding thirty days after I plant my corn. Kind of rule of thumb I go by. That's typically when you'll get to the V three corn stage. Gotcha. And how'd it go this year with the interceding? Interceding for me went great, except where I, after the wheat or, you know, after the corn soybean rotation, the interceding works great. There's no difficulty. But now I got a wheat program where I put a multi-species mix after the wheat. So there's quite a bit of residue there the following mm -hmm. June yet. I'm still trying to work the kinks out of that system. It doesn't have the establishment I like to see. It might be because of the heavy residue, but we're still working on that. I'm not willing to give up yet. Yeah, don't give up yet. <laughs> so you kind of hear a little bit about how the the residue and cover crops that you're interceding kind of, you know, have this sort of relationship that affects the, the success of the other. What other kind of challenges might you have with things like weed management with interceding? Um, yeah, okay, that's a good point. The residuals I use, you have, there's only a few chemicals families you can use for um, uh, spraying that have somewhat residual to bring you up to the time of um, interseeding. What I do is this year, last two, maybe I thought it's two years now, I use Verdict at eight ounces to an acre. I've had good luck with it. The years before that, I went with basis blend. Next year, I will probably go back to basis blend just to keep changing the chemistries back and forth. And that gets me to the interseeding triumph time trial and if there's any broadleaves coming up at that time i use i usually spray glyphosate just before interceding the day before now when i speak about um roots getting developed i meant that in the um, context of the cover crop itself you want to get them roots growing and get some strength to them before they get shaded out not so much the corn corn i don't kind of worry about at that point it's yeah. there it's going to grow yeah absolutely so yeah, I think it's a great point you're bringing up with the kind of you need to consider these residuals and things like that that could have an effect on things and your in-season weed management looks a little different than it maybe typically would. Would you say that that is an obstacle for a lot of people to adopting interseeding or uh, do you think it's a you know pretty easy obstacle to get over and work around in your experience? Uh I guess it depends on what they're willing to take on as far as management. It is another management thing you have to think about. Uh, if they don't have a no-till drill or, you know, most people have still have the rotary hose and they can just mount a spinner spreader on the front of the tractor if they'd like and work it that way. But yeah, it's uh, another thing to go over the cornfield with. And, you know, the big guys or the guys that got a lot of acres, 
they probably aren't going to deal with this. You know, uh, I, the biggest inner scene I see was a 24 roll, and that's up in Follett County. He's had luck, and he's keeping, he's doing it yet. Uh, I only have an eight roll, and I put my nitrogen on when I put the inner, when I go inner seat. I apply nitrogen, cut a cut a trip off the field. Yes, a little early for nitrogen, but you put a stabilizer, it'll be fine. Saves you a pass. Yes, yes. There's a lot of less expense when it comes to chemicals too, because yeah. you're trying to get that interceding established. That keeps the weeds down too. Once it gets to V4, V5, this interceding once you got it planted seven days later, it's coming up. Yeah. If if you did everything right, <laughs> if you got the rain and you got it, you know, the, yes. you see the soil contact down. <laughs> well, that's where the no-till drill helps you try to get it into moisture. Yeah, exactly. And then I that's kind of why I plant 30 days after planting corn. Because you got the cooler weather and the soils are moist at that time yet. Right. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything else? We we're out of questions for you. Is there anything else you want to add here, Marty? No. It's, if uh, to me, it was a great tool to get soil health started. Just besides using cereal rye in the fall, and it it has helped me tremendously. I went from uh, doing uh, strip tilling to no-till now. So that's my third year in the no-till. That is a process I'm still trying to learn on. But it's a learning curve. We're all still learning, Marty, all of us for sure. <laughs> well, I guess if we stop learning, we must have quit farming or doing what we're doing. Well, great. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been Field Notes from UW-Madison Extension. My name is Will Fulwider, Regional Crops Educator for Dane and Dodge Counties, and I was joined by my co-host, Michael Geisinger, Crops Educator for St. Croix, Barron, Polk, and Pierce Counties. A big thank you to Joe Ryan for creating our theme music and to Abby Wilkimaki for a logo. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today or about your farming practices in general, reach out to the Extension Agriculture Educators serving your region.